the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're using the Bible there that's provided, it's page 1206, 1206. Hope you uh, will turn there. Uh, we had a good time yesterday. We had a fellowship golf tournament and uh, we had about 40 guys out and it was, and a lady, and uh, uh, ladies aren't excluded and it was a lot of fun and uh, I appreciated us doing that. Uh, one of our guests who goes to another church said, so what are y'all applying the money to? We're, I said, we're not. We, we're not even making money on this. We're, we're just doing it to have some fellowship with each other. And uh, it was a great time. And uh, they thought we were taking the money to, to buy something, and we're not. So that's kind of how we work. We, we believe God's people serve and take care of God's stuff all the time. So uh, we're in First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And the first six verses of chapter 4, last week I was talking about preparing for war. And today I want to talk about our identity in, as spiritual soldiers in the operation, okay? Uh, we've called this whole series Identity in a World of Impostors, Who Are We? And we have to not only identify as soldiers, we have to be uh, in the battle. There's something about preaching that I recognize, and that is I can give you some information up here when I'm doing this, but I can't, well, I can't make anybody do anything, but I certainly can't make you, and I can't teach you enough to know what you ought to do. I want to get you interested enough, you will read your scriptures, you will uh, look into these things and that you will also learn. So I admit that weakness uh, up front, but I do want to encourage you in the scripture and help explain it a little bit so that, so that you have a basis to, to move forward. And so today these verses apply what we learned last week. Last week we learned about preparation. To, today we're going to learn about doing it. So listen with me as I read verses 7 through 11. I'm sorry that they sound like that, but 7-11 in 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me just a moment? Lord, uh, I agree with Brother Leroy's prayer. Thank you for that prayer. And God, right now we just present ourselves. We want you to teach us, to show us, and, and convict us, Lord, and move us into obedience to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, preparation without application is kind of useless. You know that? Uh, and I, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we had the opportunity to go to visit Scotland. And it's the only time I've ever been there. Didn't know this existed, but we came upon a castle there. Uh, it was near Castle Stewart, but it was further down. It wasn't a castle. It was actually a fort. And it was called Fort George. And Fort George is a very interesting installation. I think there are at least three regiments stationed there. The Black Watch is there. The Queen's Guards are there. And there's one other one. I certainly can't remember all of those things. It was very interesting. They had a, a museum of history. We saw bloodied tartans from World War I where these regiments went to war. But here's the thing about Fort George. It is the best fort ever built. 
They decided to build a fort and they got a guy and he looked at the best things of all forts that exist and he put them all together in this one fort. This, this happened in 1745, uh, it's called the Jacobite or Jacobite Rebellion, and where the people who wanted to support the Stuart King, sorry, um, they revolted against the rule of England and the rule that was there, and they went to fight. Well, and they wanted to put Bonnie Prince Charlie Stewart back on the, on the throne. I got a cousin named Charlie Stewart, which is odd to me, but anyway... And it utterly failed. And all these Scots had risen up. And so what happened after that is England went into Scotland and they decimated the people. And that's when everything kind of changed. That's the boring part of the history. But the ruler said, you know what? We need to fortify ourselves so that this can't really happen again. And so they came up with the idea of this fort. It's just up the coast from Inverness. And it is the most intrinsic. In 1768, after 1745, they began construction and they completed it. In 1748, they began construction and finished it in 1769. It took 21 years to build this fort. And its design is perfection. Like nobody coming up the firth and going to attack could come in and get it. They could... They could garner themselves there, and nobody could get to it. It's one of the most unusual pieces of architecture in all the world. It's very unique, I should say. Um, it is the only place they think, known to man. I've got a picture of it on my phone if you want to see it. Uh, you got to take, give me five minutes to find it out of the thousands of pictures. But it's the only place the, ca- the, 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 the church there, it's not a church, but whatever they would call it for the military guys, has a stained glass window behind the pulpit. And on it is a stained glass image of an angel playing a bagpipe. They think it's the only place in the world that exists. As cool as all get out. Here's what is the most unusual thing about Fort George. It's never been in a battle. Nobody ever tried to invade Scotland after that. Nobody ever tried to have an uprising. They put all this effort, all this money into a fort that has never been to war. There's still some regiments there, as I said. It's a unique piece of history. It's interesting, but it's kind of pointless. Because it has never acted for what it was created to do. See, when I was talking to you about preparing for war, I gave you that statement that was given to me that the next war is a come-as-you-are war. In other words, the war is coming to you, and you better get ready, because when it comes... Whatever your state of readiness, that's where you're going to be. That's why they built this fort. They weren't ready for that last uprising. And so they said, let's fix that. And so it's not enough for us to prepare. We've got to practice our preparedness. We've got to practice what we're doing. And, and we are in a war. And so I want you to take that home. It is not enough to prepare. We must put into practice that preparedness. And so I want to just pull a few things here out of the scripture. Number one, we need to know the time frame. Look at verse 7. Look at it very closely because there's two very interesting things there. I'm going to start with the second thing to get you to the first thing. Because the second thing says, therefore. The end of all things is at hand, therefore. Now, when you see what it's there for, you'll understand all of this. I told you, it just told you how to get ready for war. Now he says, and the war is on you. The time is at hand. We read that and we think, yeah, the second coming of Christ. 
that's probably a little bit in mind because they didn't know when he was coming. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us set a date or predict Jesus coming. In fact, it tells us the exact opposite. Jesus said, I don't know. The Father has reserved that information for himself. Now, he said that way he's still here. Maybe he knows now. I don't know. But that was what he said just before he went up into heaven. They said, are you going to restore the kingdom now? He goes, that's not for you to know. I don't even know. The Father has reserved that information for himself. You go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's our job. It's not our job to know the plan. It's our job to, to go out and tell everyone about Christ, right? And so Peter mentions the end of all things is at hand. We like to call our current time the end times. Well, friends, if you don't know it, it's been the end times since Jesus lived, died, buried, and rose again, and he poured out the Spirit. This is the last thing before the end times. But when you study the end times, you find out there's a whole lot of things got to happen before Jesus comes back. Uh, in Thessalonians, he even says the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. So at least until we know the Antichrist, he's not coming. So all of us, if we're alive in this room, we'll know the Antichrist before Jesus comes back. That's plain in Thessalonians. So when Peter says this, he's saying the war is on top of you. The war is already here. These, remember, he's writing to a people who are suffering. He's writing to a people who are being persecuted. And he's saying, the end's here already. Some of you are going to die. Peter knows how he's going to die. Jesus told him. And it wasn't going to be pretty. And so he has been living with that knowledge and been motivated by the knowledge that we are at war now and the end is close and we better be ready. And so he says, so since I told you how to prepare, since the end of all things, and friend, all things means all people, all everything. Therefore, do this. And he goes into it. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Those two words, those two phrases are almost interchangeable. He, he, he says there to be self-controlled, that means to be disciplined, and sober-minded. That means to be serious about this subject. We, we sometimes make jokes, and, and I'm not against that, obviously. I make a lot of jokes. Um, not all of them are funny, but I, I like to try. But we ought to be deadly serious about people dying and going to hell. We ought to be deadly serious about our job to go and tell the world the gospel. Because that's the job he gave us. That's it. He gave us some stuff to do together, but everything we do together is to do that job. Right? Everything that the church does ought to be to either bring somebody into a relationship with Christ or teaching them how to look like Christ. That's it. Everything else is just something we thought of. That is the main purpose. And if you look, a lot of churches aren't really designed to do those two things well. And so we have to look at this very carefully. But even if Jesus isn't coming back soon, we are danger close every time we walk out of the door. Danger close is a thing that means the enemy is on top of us. He is right there. If help comes, it's likely you'll get shot as they'll get shot because danger is that close. It's a, it's a term that is used. I, I like that term. And, and that's what Peter's saying. The end is at hand. It's danger close. They're on top of you. You better start applying what I told you. You better put it into practice, this, this warfare. But notice what he says. For the sake, we are to be serious and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I, just this past week, the Lord just freshly reminded me 
you ain't praying. <laughs> you know, where that comes from, there was a lady named Bertha Smith. She's gone on to be with the Lord. She was trained by the people that Lottie Moon trained. That's, that's how far back her history. She lived to be over 100. It was pretty phenomenal. And there's a legend about her. She came back off the mission field and God did a special work in her life and she went everywhere talking about being serious for God. And the story goes, I don't know if it's true. I wasn't there when it happened, but I've been told this. She was at a church and had a young pastor and he got up and he started praying as we do. And from behind him, back when you sat on thrones on the pulpit up here, she said, young man, young man, stop that. That's not praying. <laughs> and then she said, well, go ahead. I don't guess you're hurting anything. <laughs> you know, the Lord just kind of reminded me of that. Like, okay, I'm glad you're talking, but you're not really praying. You see, we have a relationship with God. What if, what if every day your kids called you and said, hey, dad, listen, I, I need a I need hundred bucks because I want to buy this thing. And I, I, I need to get my car fixed and... You know, there's this other thing I've been really wanting, and I, I really hope you'll give that to me. Uh, okay, that's it. I'm asking because I'm your son. Goodbye. Click. You know, it's not going to take many days. I ain't going to answer the phone. Now, God has promised he'll always answer the phone. But don't, doesn't that put an obligation on us to take him seriously? Because the things of this world are temporary, aren't they? There, there used to be a little joke about it came to pass. And they applied it. It came to pass. It will leave. And I promise you, the worst thing you're ever going through is going to come to an end. You may die, but it's going to come to an end. It's temporary, no matter what. So why don't you want to live your life for what is ultimately real and ultimately important? Which is to see people come into the kingdom and see those who come into the kingdom look more and more like Jesus. Including ourselves. This is a, this is a co-thing. We're all in the, in, the, in the soup pot together bumping into each other making the soup, right? I don't know where that illustration came from. It might not even apply, but I hope it does. We, we're all together in this. I learn from you. You learn from me. We learn from each other constantly. All of us together. And notice in, in the, these verses in 7 and 8. He says... The end is at hand, so be, be disciplined, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Our prayers ought to be, Lord, how are we taking the gospel to the people? I, I've got a little, one of those rubber bracelet things I got at the convention. There's a group, and, and their little motto is, the church has left the building. And, and they, they're coming up with ways to go into the neighborhood and get involved in people's door. You know, go to their door and get them to talk to you at least. And... and uh, I appreciate that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But shouldn't we all just be doing that anyway? Shouldn't we be exposing ourselves to people we don't know in a way that we can talk to them about Christ? I, I think we should, and I think the reason that that doesn't happen is because we, we're a little embarrassed, we're a little scared, we're a little timid. I, I get that. But you know what? People are wanting somebody to be nice to them. I, I was on my way to church this morning. And as I turned off of 262 out there to take whatever the name of that road is, Morris, what is it called? Morris Mill, yeah. As I came under the bridge, there was a guy who just crossed the ramp coming down on the other side of the road, and he was carrying a bag and a, like a big thermos cooler. And I thought, where's that guy walking to? He's walking. So I flipped the truck around, went back around. 
said, well, I, I, as long as I get there by 9, I'll be all right. This was about 8. And I pulled up beside him on the other side of the road so I wouldn't scare him. Rolled down one and said, hey, man, are you all right? You need a ride? I said, I'm just walking down the road. I'm okay. I said, all right. So I just went on. But what if that guy needed some help? And we just, well, look, he's taking a walk on a Sunday morning on a very busy road. I'm sure everything's fine. Well, it might not be, right? It might not be. And we ought to be praying that God, God's already given you opportunities, by the way. Well, I say, Lord, give us an opportunity. You got opportunities every day. You just don't notice them because you're not sober-minded. You're not disciplined. You're not looking for it. And it's always there. So you better understand the time frame. The end of all things is at hand. The war is already on. It's danger close. Even if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, you're going to see him. And you don't know when that day's coming. Well, there's, there's in, in fact, everything that Peter's going to say in these verses, every exhortation he gives us is pointing, the reason for it is pointing to that. Your life is short. Time is short. You're already in the war. You better get busy and get involved in it. Secondly, we better know the priorities. He says, therefore, be serious about the Lord. In those same verses. He says, be very serious about the Lord and pray. Make sure you're praying. But look at verse 8. Above all. Now, what does the word above mean? That means higher than, right? It's above. But what does it mean when we talk about it in relationship? It's the most important. Okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. But above all, right? He's saying we're going to war, but above all. And what does all mean? It's a good Greek word. All means all. That's all all means, right? And yet now you know some Greek. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. We got an enemy, and it isn't you, and it isn't me. It's our enemy. It's Satan. Right? I, I, heard, I heard a guy that was rescued in a very dramatic situation. And he, and he said he looked up at the guy rescuing him and wasn't, it wasn't engaged with the guy. He just saw the guy kind of guarding him. And he said, I thought, you know, if that guy knew me personally, he might not even like me. But because he knew I was here, he came to rescue me just because. That ought to define a Christian. Because the people have been caught by our enemy or trapped in their sin and they need a deliverer, Right? And while we do that, we're fighting a battle. We're facing the enemy. We ain't got time to hate each other. We are keeping each other's back safe. We love each other earnestly. Not just, yeah, I love you, man, but stay away. <laughs> you know, some people, you love them more when they leave than when they get there, right? One preacher said, I've made everybody in my church happy. Third was happy when I got there. Third was happy when I was there. And the third was happy when I left. <laughs> he says to to above all love one another and note the word in this in this verse 8 since why should we love each other earnestly because love covers a multitude of sin now what the bible is not saying is that if i love you your sins don't count it is not saying that at all it's saying i take no notice of it i love you enough just to love you like you are i don't care if you fix that or not i'm just going to love you 
The Bible tells us the love of God should lead us to repentance. That's how God does us. We mess up, he loves us. And we go, whoa, how can I do this against a God that loves me this much? And in our relationships with one another, we ought to love one another. Because I've had people say, man, I'm sorry. I was like, really? I didn't even know you did that. I don't care. I love you, man. Right? That's what he's saying is we love one another so we don't take notice of each other's sin. But some people, they, they live to criticize. I, I have a defensive mind. I'm always thinking about what can go wrong, you know. And, and not always, but if I'm going to think, that's how I think. And so, therefore, I sometimes can become critical because I'm looking at what's wrong rather than what's right. I think we got to have a balance there. But he's saying in our personal relationships, we got to love each other so earnestly that we kind of just cover over the, yeah, you're weird, but so am I. So let's just be weird together, right? And I love you anyway. I, I appreciate people love me that way. Love covers a multitude of sin. And then he says to show hospitality. He says here in verse 8, love one another sincerely, uh, earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't, don't, don't grumble about being nice to people. Hospitality creates an environment of welcoming and acceptance. I, I grew up in a city that prides itself on being hospitable. Um, even though there were some people in there that didn't want to be hospitable. There were bumper stickers when I was a kid that said, if, why do they call it tourist season if we can't shoot them? So, um, <laughs> but by and large, the town was very friendly. You didn't want to talk to a guy who had that on his car, but you know, other than them. And I learned, I, I read a book by somebody from the city there that, that said, we learned that hospitality meant making our guests more comfortable than we were in our own home. Oh, man, that is a great definition of hospitality. That's not Greek, but that sure is smart. (laughs) And we need to show hospitality to one another. We need to be giving to one another. We need to be loving one another and giving ourselves away selflessly. And so we better know the source. We know the time. We, 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 We know the priority but we better know the source of our strength. He talks about here a variety of gifts. As each one received a gift, verse 10, use it to serve one another. God did not give you a gift to make you popular or famous. He gave you a gift to serve your brothers and sisters. And we forget that. We give spiritual gifts tests in this church if you come to new members class, you get to take one. Probably most of you, if you've been in church any time, you've had a spiritual gifts test. What are you gifted in? But giftedness can lead to pride. You know what doesn't lead to pride? Character. And so that's why we preach, when we preached on the Beatitudes, we also brought in the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can never be proud about the fruit of the Spirit because you automatically recognize, I'm not capable of any of the things listed there. That is beyond any humanity ability, human ability to accomplish. That has to be the spirit in you. And so some people exercise their spiritual gift, but they don't do it in humility. And so therefore they become prideful. They become, they think in their own mind, a big shot. You know the phrase, you're a legend in your own mind. They are. Listen, we are all just people been saved by grace. Starving people who found out where there's bread and we want to share with other starving people where they can get bread. 
And it's in Christ. And so he says here, show hospitality without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You got a gift from God's grace. And he says, use that gift to serve your brothers. And, and notice there, he, it makes you a good steward. A steward, I'm familiar with this word. I guess you know why. He changed the last letter. It's my name. the same meaning. It means the keeper of the Lord's possessions. That word came about, uh, it, it came about actually from the way we use it, from, from Scotland. Because the king left and they, he appointed a steward to take care of the kingdom while he was gone. He was, he, he was taking care of the Lord's possessions. Now the Greek word is a different word, but that's what it means. And so when the king came back, he took the throne back and the steward stepped aside and it was an honor. I served the king. That's a great thing. But what happened? Somebody got jealous. Said, well, I don't guess he's coming back. So now we have steward kings. You get the irony? Y'all know King James. Yeah, some of y'all like the Bible he authorized. His last name was Stuart. Well, how did he become a king? I thought he was supposed to give it back to the king when the king came back. Well, either the king didn't come back or he just got proud and said, I'm not giving it back and keep it. And some of us, God's gifted us, God's enabled us to do something. And then we go, man, I'm something. I'm, I, no, you're a good steward of God's grace when you use it to serve each other. When you, have, when you have humility, when you have no ego whatsoever, you just want to love people and serve them and give them God's best. And notice how he says it. If you speak, speak as you're speaking oracles of God. In other words, don't talk if you're going to be teaching unless you're teaching out of God's word. It's got to be the oracles of God. And if you serve, serve with the strength God supplies. I, I, I tell people in the new members class, in fact, we're in it right now, so I'm thinking about this. I, I did this this morning, this very morning. And, and when I was in, in school, um, for three years, I cleaned bathrooms, public bathrooms and they told me do it like you're serving the Lord now I didn't want to go in there I had a guy fuss at me one day and I said dude I clean up your mess he went oh yeah you're right <laughs> that was prideful on my part but I'm just saying I'm proud about my humility I don't know if you noticed that or not <laughs> but boy did I learn a lesson doing all that it's like the job's not important how I do the job is important and if I'm doing it to help someone serve one another, serve the Lord, then it's, it has meaning. If it's cleaning a toilet, it has meaning. It has importance. And by the way, if you don't think cleaning the bathrooms isn't important, don't clean them one week. And all the guests that come to our church go, man, this is a messy church, right? It's an important job. When you serve, serve with, and what I'm saying is, if I was cleaning toilets of my own strength, I'd get a little sick and tired of it. I don't want to clean up the bathroom after you. I don't even know you. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? And I could just get in my head and go, I ain't doing this. Go in there and do a half job and just, that's ah, good enough. Right? That's why we have to do it in God's strength. Because none of us can give, 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 give without being renewed and refilled by God's grace. Right? So every once in a while, you got to just 
not going to not do it. I just need to take a break. I need to be filled with the grace of God. When we work in our own strength, we get exhausted. When we work in God's strength, he supplies it. And notice what it says. And when he got there, it's like Peter got all excited. And he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He just got all excited and started praising the Lord. Because if anybody, any character in the scripture knew who he was, it was Peter. I mean, he's the guy that always stuck his foot in his mouth, which is bad enough. But when you shoot yourself in the foot while it's in your mouth, that's deadly. And he did that over and over and over, didn't he? Oh, Lord, you can't go to the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. Right after he said, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And he goes, no, Lord, you shouldn't die. He says, get behind me, Satan. Next phrase. That's a temptation for the devil. That's not you, Peter. Lord, let's do this. Lord, let's do that. Lord, how about this? He's always trying to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus had to keep going, stop, Peter. Stop, stop, stop. Well, Peter finally got the story right, you know. He finally learned and said, now he writes to us, says, to him be the glory, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Just serve people, not in your strength, but in his strength. Just love people, all to the glory of God. That's why we exist, to glorify God. Well, how can you apply this? Well, as believers, we're not called only to prepare for battle, but also to actively engage in it. Just knowing about our spiritual armor and preparedness, that's not enough. We got to put it into practice. So I want us to respond to Peter's message today by committing ourselves to love deeply, by using our spiritual gifts, by extending hospitality, serving others selflessly, praying, and by doing so, we can become warriors for Christ, advancing his kingdom in the midst of a world at war. May we be courageous and faithful and obedient, knowing that through the, our engagement in the warfare, God's glory would can shine forth. So this week as you go home, just ask yourself a question. Do I live with God's timeline in mind? I've got, a, I've got a, a, a physical condition that caused me to think I can do anything in any time limit. I could build a house in a week, no problem. He you said, you're crazy. That's what I'm telling you. I got a, I got a condition. I'm crazy. I, it, it just it doesn't get there for me, you know? And God says, you, never, you better be mindful. Time is coming close. In fact, the Bible even tells us that, that the time is short and live that way. It says it, Peter, Paul said it too. Secondly, this week, why don't you intentionally set your mind to be kind to a stranger, to someone else, to love them? To just give yourself away to somebody who might need it. And then put the gift God's given you. Talking to people about Christ, serving someone who has a need, helping them out, whatever it is. Do it to glorify God. Not for yourself. People say, oh, thank you. No. I did it glorify, glorify God. He gets all the praise. I don't. I'm, I'm just a servant. I just had to jump in because I'm a steward of God's grace. And I've got to give grace to you. Because I don't own it. It was given to me to give to you. I had a, I had a friend back in the day. And he was, he was of a kind that, uh, let's just say he's not a Baptist. And back in the 70s, he had gone to a Bible study and he had a big old van. So you're getting a picture here already. If you, if you understand what I just said, you know what I'm talking about. 
And said he was in this Bible study. And at the end of the Bible study, a guy walks up to him. He said he only had enough gas to get there. So he went anyway. He didn't have enough money to get home. Didn't have enough gas to get home. He didn't have any money to put gas in the car. In his big van. And a guy walks up and says, Lord told me to give this to you. He gave him two $5 bills. And he said he went, thank you, Lord. And he said he went to put it in his pocket. And God said, hold on there. I didn't give that to you for you. I gave that to you to give away. And he said, well, who do I give it to? And he said, Lord, direct him two guys. And he walked and said, Lord told me to give you this. I, I, I got this picture in my mind. There's a bunch of people just walking around handing each other money. I don't know. But it's what it kind of sounded like. But, but his story was he finished and he gave the two fives away. And goes, okay, now what do I do? And he said, a guy walked and said, hey, brother, the Lord told me to give this to you. Hand him a $20 bill. But instead of putting it in his pocket, he said he held it up and said, Lord, what do I do with this? He said, that one's for you. <laughs> so he put it in his pocket and went and got gas. Listen, what God gives us, we give away. God will supply your need when you give away what God's already given you. But until you give away what you've got, why would he give you more? 